0: Have you ever wondered what heaven on Earth looks like? I, I, I sometimes will sit and I imagine, what, what would heaven look like in this situation? What, what would it require of me to do, or how would it require me to respond? How does it affect me? There are some things that affect me hugely. One one of the things that I, I, I'll, I'll get a little vulnerable here. I will watch a show like um, Extreme Makeover Home Makeover. And anybody ever see Extreme Make Home Makeover, or whatever it's called? I forget the name of it, but it's where they actually find a family, and they take their house and they build them a brand new house, and then they give it to them, and they do it in a week. If I watch a show like that, I need some tissue around me. If I can... I'm a little softy that way. It catches me. It grabs me. I, I watch... I love to watch and I love to read about people that have touched another individual in a practical way, but also in a way that touches their being. That that somebody is touched so much that they're moved beyond words. Somebody that, that has a special need, maybe they're missing something, and another individual comes out of the blue... And surprises them or gives them something and it catches them with exactly what they need. And and I love the triumph of the human spirit in that moment. I love the triumph of the human spirit and the capacity to go beyond myself and to touch someone else. It gets me. It gets me. I, those tear-jerkers, I, I, I have a hard time watching them and not having a tear come down. And it's like, I'm a guy. I shouldn't, I, I, I got to, where's my man card? I got to play my man card here. I, I can't, but there's something about touching somebody else and giving them something of yourself That hits them and they walk away better because what you have done. There's something powerful. And I believe the greatest example of that is Jesus Christ. If you want to see somebody walk into a person's life and to give them exactly what they need. Every single time, it's Jesus. He is the most practical giver in the world. I've given people things they don't need. But Jesus would walk into a situation, whether he was asked about it or whether he would just walk into that situation and he would give to the individual exactly what they needed. And sometimes it was different than what other people thought. Sometimes he would ask them, what do you want? Other times he would just say, your faith has made you whole. Sometimes they would say, if you're able, and if you will. And he said, I will. And so this morning, I want to take some time, and I want to look at what does heaven on earth look like? And the greatest picture you can have of heaven on earth is the picture of Jesus Christ. He was God with us. I was reading... A passage in Acts this week and they were interrogating Peter or Peter was talking and and Peter had this recollection of a conversation he had with Jesus and, and it just hit me. He says it's written and he goes I, I remember how many times Jesus would say John's going to baptize you with water but I'm going to baptize you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine sitting with Jesus having this conversation with him, and he says, Listen, guys, you see this happening, but this is what's going to happen when you allow me to do it. And he said it on a number of occasions because he didn't just say, I remember that one time, he says, I remember how many times he said that. Jesus displayed on earth what heaven was like. He had 12 that he called. He actually had more disciples. When you read it, you find out that he had more. He had 70, he had 120. He had had times where there were so many and then he'd say something and they'd leave. And at the time of Pentecost, there was 120 in the upper room. So he had those that would follow him. When they replaced uh, Judas, they took from those who had followed him regularly. And a disciple is someone that learns and follows. It's a student. A disciple is a student of someone or something. And so Jesus, he took the disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you, not what Jesus did, but I'd like to show you some of the things the disciples did because they followed Jesus. These are things that happened after Jesus left the earth and ascended on high, resurrected and went to heaven, and he came to the disciples and he commissioned them, and and they actually went and did these things. And by the way, these disciples were like you and me. In fact, I'm probably double the age of the disciples at the time. Some scholars and theologians say that the disciples were either in their late teens or early 20s. Can you imagine turning the church over to a bunch of millennials? I mean, they were zero millennials in those days. I mean, that was a joke. Zero millennials, zero time. You know, they were 4A, B, C. I mean, it was like... But he entrusted the kingdom to people, if I can be honest and real, like you and me. They sometimes argued about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. Like, we've never argued about that. They sometimes wanted to know who would sit on the right hand of the Father and who would sit on the left hand. Like, we've never argued about who's better. I'm amazed at how many times they believe Jesus, and yet when he did something They seem to believe him more. That gives me hope of an increasing faith and a belief in God. In fact, Jesus dies, comes back again, and some of the disciples didn't even believe that it was him. He walks into this building, into this room, through a wall, and get a load of this. He's a physical being going through a wall, and he says, hey, come here, Thomas, and feel the nail prints, and put your hand in my side. I'm constantly amazed at how gracious he is, because some of the things the disciples struggle with, if we're completely honest, I find myself struggling sometimes as well. We read it. But there are some times it's like, can that really happen? So this morning, I want to take a few moments and I want to show you what happened when Jesus impacted the life of his disciples and what happened to people around them. So we've got in your notes, if you could turn to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 8. When, when heaven invades earth, when we see on earth as it is in heaven, life Gets better. There is an improvement that happens when Jesus comes onto the scene. I've yet to find a story, an illustration, or an example where Jesus came on the scene and life got worse. But every time I read about a story of Jesus, he came in, he healed somebody, he raised them from the dead, he caused them to see, he caused them to hear. He came and he fixed the situation, he improved the situation. It doesn't mean we won't have struggles, it doesn't mean we won't have persecution, but that doesn't come from Jesus, that comes from those who are sitting around and quite frankly are jealous of what God has done. And that's biblical. Biblical. The people and the religious people of the day were jealous of what was happening and they tried to shut down the disciples. Because they walked with Jesus and now they were walking and showing people how in a relationship with Christ and how Christ in one moment can change a life forever. They didn't have Dr. Phil, Oprah, and everybody else in the self-help. They had Jesus Christ and the difference he makes. And I am convinced one moment in his presence can change my life forever. So I want to look at how the improvement happens. And if we're in Acts chapter 8. This is the story about Philip. And we're going to kind of go backwards in the book of Acts. We're starting in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. This is is after Paul is starting to to persecute the church. And in verse 4 it says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about, listen to this, preaching the word. I want you to see some key thoughts and key words as we look on how Jesus impacted the disciples and how they brought heaven into earth. How do you bring the reality of heaven into the life of someone around you? Can I make a suggestion? Don't come up with your own ideas. Don't make up your own story. Preach the Word. This morning, I am convicted and convinced in my heart that I just need to preach the Word. I don't need to give you six steps to this way or three steps that way or how to do the proper little thing. I'm here to tell you the Word of God is the Word that can help you, heal you, deliver you, and save you. And the disciples, they preached the Word Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, listen to this, with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. I find this amazing. God doesn't seem to have any problem working something miraculous when we preach the word and proclaim Christ. This morning, I shared this with a few people this morning in our holy huddle. I'm going to proclaim Christ. And as I proclaim Christ this morning, there's something that's going to happen in this atmosphere. And people are going to be healed where you're sitting. I believe that. I believe God will touch you physically. I am radical enough to believe that he can do that. I believe he's going to touch people in their minds. We have such an awareness of mental health and mental illness, and that is real. God can come and he can touch those aspects, and he can heal even somebody that struggles mentally. And that's not a bad thing. We, we, we somehow have no problem with someone who gets sick physically, but we somehow struggle with somebody that sometimes struggles mentally or has depressed, depressed thoughts. God can come and he can heal that. I'm convinced. I'm getting a little radical. Are you with me? And I found the more you preach Christ the more opportunity you have to see him do something. The more you share about what he can do, the more opportunity he has to do it. So I'd be foolish to take my 25, 35, or an hour-long sermon, and it's not going to be an hour today, but I'd be foolish to take it and not to share Christ in my message. So, Acts chapter 8, we see Philip preaching the word. He proclaiming Christ to him, verse 5. In verse 6, crowds gave attention as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. I find that amazing. He was performing them, but God was doing them. Do you know you actually have the authority and the ability to see a miracle happen? But it's not about you. It's all about him. It's not about building my Instagram page. It's not about setting up some kind of publicity stunt. It's all about what Christ can do. And what's amazing, when he starts to do it, things happen beyond what you could ever plan. I think sometimes we try to plan God to do something instead of just allowing him to do what he wants. Crowds came attention. Listen to this in verse 7. Unclean spirits came out. Paralyzed and lame people were healed. Physical, but I also believe there's an aspect of those that are paralyzed in their thoughts that God can come and he can heal them. And then in verse 8, there was much rejoicing in that city. Can you imagine Abbotsford? Can you imagine a hospital that doesn't have such a high demand on it that people can't get into the emergency room because it's so busy? Can you imagine a hospital where people are touched in the city and the hospital isn't at the capacity that it can handle because people's lives are being touched? I'm crazy enough to believe God can do that. I'm crazy enough to believe that Abbotsford can be a model for what Christ can do and that all the pundits can't figure it out. That's okay if they can't figure it out. I know who does, and that's Christ. And we have 100 people in here this morning. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were able to proclaim Christ to one individual this week? I mean, there's seven days in the week, but if we could just do it one time this week that we would proclaim Christ to one person, that's a hundred people that haven't heard or didn't get a touch from him that get a touch this week. I mean, we might have to put out more chairs. Much rejoicing in the city. What's funny is people rejoice at it, but there's also people that get jealous. I want you to turn now, if you can, backwards to Acts chapter 5. We have a message to give to people. Look at somebody and say, I have a message to give to people. The message is the message of life, it's not your own message. Don't tell them how you think. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 5, and I want to start in verse 12, and we're going to be reading about four or five verses. It says, At the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. And this is just after Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. And they're dead. I mean, that gets pretty serious pretty quick. But none of the rest dared to associate with them in verse 13. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Listen to this This passage. This verse is probably one of my favorite verses. And you've heard me say this time and time again, and I'm believing for it to happen again. I am believing for Acts 5, 15, and 16 to happen again. To such an extent, verse 15, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets, that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. All being healed. I'm going for all. I'm going for my shadow. I've told you, I ride my bike. I haven't ridden it much lately. The weather doesn't seem to give me the opportunity. Plus, my mind, my will, and my emotions aren't there. But (laughs) when I would ride it, I would sometimes ride in the sunshine and my shadow, and there were people be walking, and I would drive by them, ride by them, and I'd be just have my hand out. And I didn't yell at them or anything like that. They they didn't always see me coming, and uh, I'm pretty stealth on the bike. It's nice and quiet. It's not like a motorbike, so they don't. But I had my shadow, and sometimes I would actually ride on the other side of the road just so my shadow would actually catch them. I'm experimenting. It's never going to happen if you don't try it. And I pass them. And I get about 20, 30 steps further. And then, uh, you know, cycles. And then I turn back to see if if, if something happened. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand how this happened, but I'll tell you what I would have done if I would have been there. I would have said, Peter, don't walk out at noon. Walk out at 6 or 7 when the sun is setting because your shadow is that much bigger. Like at noon, people have to get right beside you. But if you wait to six or seven, your shadow's about another six, seven, eight, ten feet long. You're gonna hit more people. That's that's how I would have thought. Not in Costa Rica. I am believing for the power of God to touch people's lives through a shadow. I'm believing for the power of God to touch people's lives through a piece of cloth that is anointed from a man of God and a woman of God, which, by the way, is you and me. It's not just somebody who preaches, but we are all called to do these things. You carry Christ, the anointed one, with you. You do not have to wait till the pastor comes. You have the ability in your hands to lay them out and stretch them out and to see people's lives touched. You have that in you. And these disciples had this, and what happened is the whole city and the people around came, and they came because of what God was doing. They might have said what Peter was doing. They might have not figured it all out because sometimes those things aren't easy to figure out and people and hype and everything else. But they came and Christ performed miracles in them and through them. And I am crazy enough to believe that that can happen today. That was a good place for an amen. Amen. Just, I'm giving you opportunities here for amens. When I do this, shout amen. (laughs) Do you know Peter and the disciples got in trouble for having those miracles? He said they were in prison. The high priest rose up along with the, the associates and they were filled with jealousy. That's in verse 17. But I want you to catch the next couple verses. In verse 20, an angel comes during the night. I told you last week, more happens when we're asleep than when we're awake. During the night, an angel of the Lord opens the gates of the prisons and takes them out. And he says, go stand and speak to the people. Listen to this. In the temple, the whole message of this life. Your and my commission is to preach the whole message of this life. And the whole message is that He is your healer, the whole message is that He is your provider. The whole message is that He is your help in time of need. The whole message is He is your peace. The whole message is He is the one who stands beside you when everybody else leaves you. The whole message is every single aspect of Christ is alive and available to touch other people's lives. When I looked at the word whole, it meant from every single aspect. Imagine a wheel, and that wheel's the hole. It comes from this angle. It comes from that angle. It comes from that angle. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Every single aspect of God being able to touch somebody's life, He is able, and we are the ones to share that message. And the angel said, you're to go and you're to share the whole message And then he capitalizes the word life. And I found that interesting. It's the word Zoe. And one of the major or one of the first main definitions of that I want to just read to is the state of one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. And what is funny is my wife said to me this morning as I was preparing to preach, she says, God's going to fill you with animation. I didn't even share with her that verse. But God wants to come and be over you so much that the life you have is a life that is full, it's animated. It is not just you, it is the power of God in you. And for some of you, like me, this is animated. Others of you, animation is like, I want to jump up to the roof. I want to touch this. I want to do that. It doesn't, however God has gifted you, put his stamp on you and put things in you. Let him cause that to come alive in you. I would suggest to you that the life of the message of Christ is every urge excitement, passion, joy, screaming out loud thing in your life is the life that God wants you to be able to pass on to someone else. And it can be as simple as a hand on their shoulder or it can be as profound as something major. And it can be as simple as Christ pouring them out and them getting knocked over by the power of God, or it can be as profound as saying a prayer with someone. But heaven on Earth is sharing the whole message of Christ. We have a super-hero complex. Have you ever noticed on TV, everybody wants to have a superhero? I mean, they've even got a guy called Ant-Man. I mean, we're so desperate for a superhero. Thor. All these other aspects. And what that is, is that is trying to touch people in areas where there is a desperation or a need. And they're calling out for something bigger and greater than themselves. And so we make images. We make Superman. We make Batman. We make Thor. We make all the Avengers. We create these images of people that are superheroes because they are satisfying or scratching an itch that we have. But the greatest hero we could ever have and proclaim his name is Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples had a superhero complex. In verse 6, they're talking to Jesus just before he descends and they says, "Are you going to restore the kingdom now?" It's like you've done all these things, now you can be the superhero. And he goes, No, it's not for you guys to know the time and the season, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what he was saying is the superhero that you're looking for is actually the Holy Spirit coming on you. And you but I've got lives to be restored and they'll be restored through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in you. So I want to close. That was a good spot for an amen. But thank you. I appreciate nobody saying amen at that moment. I want to give you an opportunity. If you need a touch from God, I don't care if you're a regular attender or if you're a visitor today, I don't care where you feel your relationship with God is at this moment, He's able. And so if anybody here needs a touch from God, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, You've got things you're not able to sleep at night. You've got voices in your head. I don't care what it is. If you need a touch from God, today I've preached Christ to you, and he is here right now to touch you. So if you need a touch from God, can you be bold enough and courageous enough to raise your hand right now? I appreciate your vulnerability and your courage. You can lower your hands. What I'd like now is if we could take 25 seconds and just receive from Christ. So if you want to take your hands and just make them as an open posture, that's fine. That's something physical, but sometimes it does something internally. But just have a posture to receive the touch that you're asking God to do. He will do it right now. Thank you, Jesus. If I could have you look up here again. You and I are the ones that actually carry the message of life to others. It's not vicariously done. It is through you and I. It is something that you and I participate in and are active in. And I want to ask if there's anybody here that says, you know what, I need to up my game. Can I pray for you? And I'm going to ask you to be courageous again and I'm going to ask you to be bold and to be honest because this is not a place of judgment, this is a place of where God can touch and God can strengthen and actually sometimes admitting to these aspects gives opportunity for God to do something. So if any of you are here saying, you know what, I'd like to up my game, can you raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Thank you. Can we, uh, can we do one last thing? You can lower your hands. Can we stand? I want to do a closing prayer. What I'd like to do is, is if we can hold hands across the aisles and rows. Even if it's a stranger, if you're able to, to just make it so nobody's alone. I believe in prayer and I believe you and I have that in us. So what I'd like to do is take 20 seconds and pray for the person to your right and ask God to touch them. And some of them have raised their hands to say, I'd like to be a little more upping my game. Just ask God to touch them, to give them opportunities, to give them boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would share Christ in a more practical or a more bold way with someone else. So just take 20 seconds. Pray for the person on your right. And now if you could take a few seconds and pray for the person on your left. Ask God to to touch them, to give them extra boldness. Ask the Holy Spirit, to give them strength and awareness of what he is doing in the lives of people around them. Hallelujah. And I'll just close in prayer. Father, I ask that the life that you have would emanate and come out of us and flow out of us and that the message that we carry would be a message of your life, a message of your ability, a message of your strength, a message of your hope, a message of your healing. And Lord, if there's anybody here that maybe was not able to raise their hand, I ask that you would touch them. Touch everyone here today, oh God. May we walk out today, and may we make a difference in Abbotsford this week. And Lord, I thank you for the soup that we're about to enjoy. I pray that you'd bless it. Bless our fellowship as we sit on the tables across from each other, sharing your good news. In your precious name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. We have soup. We would love for you to be able to join.